yes, we absolutely need more data. Like there's a lot of companies that have tried to move in this direction in a variety of ways, and it can be good if you apply it with context. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Critical thinking for the protector of tomorrow. Today, Sean West and myself, we're going to be talking with Tristan Wheat, who is a red teamer, an intelligence analyst, adjunct professor, worked with EP previously and is currently advising a number of EP clients, of course. And he very kindly spoke at the Bodyguards for Kids initiative, which we as The Circuit Magazine supported. Critical thinking. Sounds a little abstract, but but I but I better feel that the community can really harness this as a skill set. What what do you think, Sean? No, I, I totally agree. I'm, I mean, I'm doing a lot of training at the moment, coaching training, and I have a lot of interest in. I'm learning about NLP, neuro linguistic programming, and there's a lot of that when, when you're talking critical thinking and you know asking powerful questions, not just accepting what. The person saying, if you ask powerful questions, you, you find you can dig in, you can get more information that can be useful both to them and to your client and to the teams on the ground. So I'm, I'm definitely interested to see where he takes it, how he uses critical thinking and the little golden nuggets that he pulls out to pass on to the teams and that he can give to our, our listeners. And and that's that, as you say, is the nugget because he has previously done this for EP teams and now he's doing penetration testing and he works for other uh, EP organizations. But that that that's the golden nugget because many solutions out there seem to say, did you know you're going to Egypt? Ah, oh, but by the way, there are some pyramids. It's like, okay, thank you very much. There's not particularly intelligence and it's not particularly critical thinking. So this bridges the gap between a lot of the academia out there, a lot of the political analysis to say, what's in it for me? You know, that I, I guess I guess fundamentally, that's what we're looking for. Um, how 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 applicable is this for the everyday operator, though? Because do, do they have time to sort of sit down and think, oh, my principle is uh, based out of Middle East. And there are protests about this particular subsector of the industry. And so I feel X, Y, and Z will extrapolate. Is that for the everyday protector? Or is it maybe for someone like Treston who does this as his day job? I think an everyday protector can always, you know, help themselves by being a little bit more of a critical thinker, you know, by not just asking the surface level questions, by digging in a little bit, you'll get a little bit more information, which builds a bigger picture. But when you've got a you know, a large, well-known principal who might be the head of a, you know, some global corporate entity. Generally, you should, it, it should be, you have specialists in that area who will go out, bring the information, disseminate it, and give it to the relevant teams. For instance, if your president of your, of the corporation you're looking after has just started mining in Africa and it's caused a bit of an uproar there, you have, you have the people that's looking at it and they can disseminate it to, like you said, they might want to do a PR campaign, which has nothing to do with the EP teams, however, to be in the picture and be aware there is some issues over here. So that may trigger something back around where your principal is. You know, you can just upgrade the vigilance around um, your principal's, principal's property when you're going out, you know, because that not going to affect in that other country. May actually, maybe someone, a national from that country living in the area of your principal, that it's had some not on effect to them. So it's always good, no matter how little it is, you know, to receive them nuggets of information, which you can, if you're aware, you can increase your situational awareness of everything that's going on around. And that ties to reputational management too, which which I think more people are, you know, prepared to uh, to deal with and to 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 feel is is for them. Um, but I, I I wonder, do you think this has become extra popular over the last few years because? Uh, there, there were times, uh, you know, we're not naming times or places, but there were times where information wasn't available um, and uh, on the ground, you know, truth, quote unquote, was not always available. Um, do, do you think this ties into an appetite for private intelligence, uh, doing your own due diligence, things like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's many different areas of the world opened up now with the technology we have, the Internet, you know, the open source intelligence that's available to everybody. You know, some, some of the 
I mean, great things that's coming, like ChatGPT and all of these, you know, different technologies we can harness. I think, yeah, I think there definitely is a bigger appetite. And, you know, there's more strings that people can add to their bow because training is more widely available in these areas. So, yeah, I definitely think there's more of an appetite purely through the tools people have, you know, right at their fingertips every day now. You don't have to fly to another country to go and do a training in a specific topic. Generally, you can find you can have it delivered, you know, via Zoom, by having access to a a program, yeah, I definitely think things are more widely available now and of, of interest to more people because it's more achievable. Yeah, maybe maybe that's maybe that's what we're going to run with with uh, with Trusted. It's now more achievable and and more applicable, which uh, which yeah, would be great. Yeah. Great for our audience. So let's get into it with uh, Tristan Wheat. We're going to look at critical thinking for tomorrow's protector. And now let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit magazine. Critical thinking for the protector. Today, I'm very pleased to sit down with Dr. Treston, Red Team Analyst. It's great pleasure to have you on. Obviously, those of uh, us who have been to the Bodyguards for Kids uh, Symposium, uh, you, you very kindly spoke there. We'll, we'll get to know a little bit more about you in just a moment. Why is critical thinking so important for the protector? Critical thinking is is quintessential for the protector because they have to make so many fast, impactful decisions. And so they need to be prepared to work through the heuristics problems and the cognitive biasy problems at a very quick rate. And then they have to make long-term decisions for their principles or who they're protecting. And they can't waste resources. Um, they need to be able to direct appropriate efforts. And so critical thinking is central for them to be effective and successful at their jobs. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. And and then hopefully that resonates with a lot of the audience. They think, well, I'm I'm already doing that, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, but but what about you? Where does where does your passion for this come from? Absolutely. So I have I usually describe myself as a displaced academic. Uh, I got my PhD and then realized academia wasn't for me, and I sort of fell into the corporate security protector space. And I realized getting my doctorate that critical thinking actually wasn't a big part of academia. They had overly quantified because my doctorate is in political science. They'd over quantified everything and they had no sense of history, no sense of philosophy, no sense of a higher order thinking. And I come from a very specific tradition in political science of like the Hannah Arendt, Leo Strauss kind of tradition where I rejected all of that. And so I brought that paradigm with me to corporate security and I did very, very well as an intel analyst for geopolitical risk in particular, applying this broader framework of analysis um, that was far more impactful. And it's why I got a lot of people to sort of accept intel where security professionals, especially protectors, ha can have a tenser relationship with intel for a couple of reasons, which we can go into. But by forcing myself and other analysts around me to actually have to work through causal mechanisms and problems, I really saw the importance of bringing critical thinking as a philosophical concept to the industry. I like it. And I, and, and I think, you know, you know, protectors are, are thinking people. Um, and, and mm -hmm. so, and so, and so they, this should really resonate with them. Um, but what about the uninitiated protector or the protector that thinks they're uninitiated? They're like critical thinking. Mm, I've never, I've never really thought about applying that to my day-to-day -day job. What, what should they better understand? Absolutely. So most people use critical thinking in their everyday lives. They just don't call it that. The difference for say uninitiated protector or coming into it is learning to articulate your thought process. Because usually people have so much training. So a lot of protectors come from military or law enforcement and you have a lot of training and everything happens quick because you, you have prepared for certain issues, but you need to be able to explain those issues to other security professionals that aren't say the direct protector that are backing you up or to your principal or business partners. You need to be able to work through those causal mechanisms of why something is important or why you have to, to use resources. 
and so being able to articulate why you are making a decision is just as important as the decision making itself. And so it becomes a really important business skill uh, to be able to work through all of these complicated and difficult ideas because you have to justify a lot of what you do repeatedly. Mm. And and I guess that's, I mean, that's why private intelligence and uh, private um, socks and, 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 and things like that are, are so popular because that, you know, something flashes up on the news and then you, well, is, you know, does it affect me? And, uh, and if it does, uh, to what extent is it as it is presented? Because um, mm -hmm. maybe one news article might try to create fear. Uh, one might try to create calm. Um, is, is, is it as simple as that? You know, because if I'm a protector and I'm, I'm thinking I want to develop these critical thinking skills, is, 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 is it as simple as, um, you know, sorting the wheat from the chaff in the news? <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it it goes so much more deeper than that. And this is the thing about and, the, and this is not just a security professionals thing. This is sort of writ large about people is they think oh, I read the news, therefore I understand politics, or I read the news, therefore I understand geopolitics or anything along those lines. But one doesn't actually understand the applicability of it or the, the multi-layers of each of the issues. And this is where the critical thinking comes in. And so you're, you're referencing news like promoting fear or hope or stability. And so we might put that within, say, a political paradigm or political framework by which the news is being filtered. There's nothing inherently wrong with having a paradigm like that. So British media, I'll say, is is generally more overt about their political biases than, than the U.S. media. But it doesn't mean anything, say, like a conservative or labor paper is publishing is wrong or false. But it is filtered through that lens. So for the security professional, though, they have to take it a step further in that they have to make it applicable to what they're doing. And so newspapers will be describing an event, but you have to draw out the relevant pieces for your principal or your organization of what actually could be applicable. You have to go that sort of that step further. And then something I talk about regularly with critical thinking is I'm entirely cool or, or comfortable with political bias because people have their frameworks, they have their ideas. The bigger threat are those cognitive biases like anchoring bias um, or availability bias that actually causes significantly more analytic problems than a political paradigm. So, you know, a conservative paper might be writing about a certain kind of, of terrorism and they want you to, to think that terrorism um, is a big deal. It obviously is on a social level, but then for the security professional, they can't let that be the, the end of it. Um, so in the U.S., I reference this as like a regular security thing, Terrorism actually isn't that common in the U.S. We have had multiple terrorist attacks, and there have been some really big ones. But of the 4,500 or so people who have died of terrorism in the last century or so in the U.S., 3,000 of those were on 9-11. And then another 200-something uh, were, were the Oklahoma City bombing. So that gets rid of a huge chunk of, of possible deaths from terrorism. And so you have to set aside that availability or anchoring bias of terrorism equals massive death when you're thinking through security issues. Yeah, no, that that is a key, and um, I think I think many many people are you know from the law enforcement community or the you know intelligence community, and and maybe they have been focused on things that create terror for so long that they might say organized crime i i'm not familiar with organized crime um, and uh you know people on the atf side of the house are probably screaming them saying no please look look at all this you know um and 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 i like that because maybe maybe you read a left-leaning paper and it says um you know whatever and 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 a right-leaning paper says whatever and it's not that the information is wrong because they're mm -hmm. quite overt about what they're trying to do but you might miss what's actually happening absolutely uh and trying to to draw out the disparate pieces together so this is where journalism can be limited uh and it's not a critique of journalism the journalists are doing their jobs but as security professionals especially intel analysts you're supposed to be drawing different things together different variables together to explain cause and consequence because the ultimate goal is is what we refer to as actionable 
Um, we need the security professional, the protector, to be able to act on the information that they are consuming or being provided by an Intel analyst. And so just drawing on a couple you know, articles doesn't even get you there. Um, you have to be able to extract usually more than whatever the journalists are talking about and be able to put it into context. And the context is, is what really matters of, of whether we're talking about protests, uh, weather events, because um, those are always huge, traffic, et cetera, et cetera, that a protector has to really care about. You need to be able to put it in the proper context and probabilities. Mm. So, okay. And, and, and let, let's take a step back because you mentioned political theory and you mentioned your, your doctorate in, 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 in politics. And I, 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 I appreciate that, right? I have a you know, master's in political economy and European law and things. Mm. So, <laughs> so, so I, I appreciate that, right? But the, and, and I see you have had a successful career in corporate security, and therefore mm. this is fantastic that we're talking to you. But there have been uh, some people who have tried to make the jump from academia um, or political risk, and the, the work they present is not so applicable. So, so when we read their uh, threat an analysis reports, it says... Um, Mali is uh, an emerging economy and it is uh, got some challenges and like well okay good but that's not quite enough and 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 I guess how have you made the leap and and how have you made it applicable mm, absolutely so this is this is a fantastic question because I have a lot of criticisms of academia um and the way like political risk analysts are trained to, to think about things. Because um, I'm going to start with like the way people are trained in school is you're writing papers on a broad idea. And so people get into political risk and they're like, oh, I really love this political topic. I want to talk about this political issue. And I think it's important for the country or or um, my particular feelings about human rights or, or whatever the issue. That's not the way you have to approach it. You have to have the right paradigm. Um, the right framework of mind to, to analyze the events. So that's sort of step one is like the training is usually way too broad uh, for, for this. Number two, um, I'm very, very lucky. I got my master's from Georgetown Security Studies program. Um, and in that program, they were hyper-focused on applicability. It was, it was overwhelmingly security professionals teaching us um, with a couple academics. And so our papers... Um, would regularly be a memo rather than like a full paper. And so we, like, I remember the hardest one I wrote was for a national security class. I had to summarize the Syrian conflict that was going on at the time and come up with three possible policy proposals in a thousand words. Um, like that <laughs> teaches you to, to move down to, to like the applicable stuff. So I was very lucky with that training before I moved on to my doctorate in which I was able to incorporate a lot more information. And I didn't do my doctorate the way most people in, in getting their PhDs do theirs. Uh, it was, again, why I say I was displaced academic. My dissertation drew on international law and political theory and security studies and regional studies and pulled a whole bunch of stuff together. And so because I was sort of a black sheep of academia, I had learned the requisite skills by accident <laughs> mm -hmm. to come into corporate security and, and be able to work through these issues. Now, going to the political risk people as well. So they have generally less, we'll say less useful training in, in schooling and academia because um, they don't work through direct security issues. They focus on, on very broad topics rather than, than driving down into to actionability. But then I think a critical thing is they forget the next layer. So as I mentioned with like the news things, it's usually multiple frameworks and layers of analysis that you need to get through to get to the ultimate point that's really important. And political risk analysts usually don't know business very well. Um, they might have studied economics, but economics is not the same thing as a business perspective. Uh, and then they tend not to think in very tactical security terms. And so what they're usually lacking is, is drawing from these big ideas and coming down to a business perspective and a physical security perspective, which have their own ways of engaging information in the world and what they need to be able to do their jobs well. And so they miss a couple critical steps analytically to draw the really important stuff out.
Yeah, and and that's maybe that that jump, that that leap. Because I mean, it's perfectly fair and reasonable. You you might be further along in your security career, and then you go and do a, a master's at Cranford or Portsmouth or, or or other universities. You know, maybe maybe uh, around the world, distance learning and and mm-hmm. and and yeah, navel gazing might be the name of the game, right? Because, but that's 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 sort of barbarians to the boardroom. That's that's reflecting and going, do you know what? My life has actually uh, followed this academic arc as well, or, or, or maybe I can have a contribution. The, 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 the urban myth that people raise is I, I got an intelligence briefing when I went to Egypt and it said, did you know that there are some pyramids? <laughs> you know, it, 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 whether or not that actually happened, I, I just feel that the applicability is, is a challenge. Now in a step change, um, Protectors see a lot of things. Police, mm-hmm. um, our armed forces see a lot of things, not always good. And so they might start projecting one example of things not being good to all areas of society. Now, the last few years, um, people saw good, the bad, the ugly, and the true, the untrue, um, the grey. Um, what has your work been like in that context because surely every uh, operator is a sensor point every operator is trying to to get some data on the ground but at the same time they do have a bias because they they have seen you know a mixture of things that have turned out to not be quite as they imagined absolutely so this is um i think a, a big issue with with military and law enforcement people moving over to corporate security because uh, the way I usually like to phrase it is when I got my first job in corporate security, I thought it was going to be like Jason Bourne, but it was really more like office space. Mm. Um, and, and so it's a very, very different world for corporate security where 99% of the time, nothing is really happening. Um, and so where security professionals and protectors, especially when they come from law enforcement and military, they've usually seen as you sort of put it like the worst of humanity they've seen the bad stuff day in and day out because they have an active role to play in in those issues and so it makes them pessimists overwhelmingly nothing wrong with pessimism it can help you prepare for a lot of bad things but when we're thinking critically and analytically we have to think probabilistically which means is there an X chance of this happening? And not only is there an X chance, what factors and environments have to exist for that probability to increase or decrease? And so I mentioned the, the terrorism issue, but we talk about crime on the streets. Um, so something that when I, I worked as an intel analyst, a lot of people I did travel security analysis for were like, okay, we know crime exists in, in whatever area we're going to. We, we don't need you to tell us like crime rates for, for travel risk security. We need to know uh, a big thing um, was traffic. Uh, because when you're a protector, the biggest thing that will impact your client when you're in the private sector is missing their, their meetings or traffic impacting it. So I would spend a lot more time on traffic patterns in in an area and then looking at protests and where there have been normal protests in an area that could disrupt traffic and so like it became less about say like violence than business continuity making sure that your principal is getting to where they need to go on time and they're not disrupted by local events this goes back to what we were saying about political risk and then putting on that business lens of what is your principal actually need and so if you're just tracking protests and you say there are protests here that's not enough you need to get into the nitty gritty and say, because it's less about a particular political movement or anything, then how is it going to impact your principal? How is it going to impact your client? And so for security professionals and protectors who have gone through a lot of rougher stuff, especially if they've served overseas, that pessimistic view tends to cloud their probabilistic analysis. And so they just assume that bad things are going to happen, that this is going to be the worst case scenario. And you should prepare for worst case scenario. But when we're thinking about the most applicable stuff, you need to put a significant amount of context and probabilistic analysis. And so this is where you would say, you know, 
we're, we're calculating for X. And so we need to find out the probabilities of A, B, and C um, and the context of, of which this would show intent for something raising or lowering. And oftentimes these numbers shrink <laughs> quite a bit when you use proper context and analysis. And so you're giving your principal and customer um, a very different view than if you come directly from say like a war zone and you're like, no, of course everything's falling apart. Well, that's not where most of these people are existing or operating. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, it, it would be a, a bizarre day that you take a principal into a hot zone. Um, uh, but uh, having said that, um, on, on this subject of pessimism, I, may, maybe maybe this is sort of a populist uh, type uh, topic because it, it gets it gets a lot of protectors excited or at least interested. Um, could you tell me a bit about your work? uh dispelling myths and so on now mm. now there's certainly bad things going on and protectors have certainly seen bad things and they certainly know the minds of the rich and the powerful but has it been a challenge or should it be a challenge to use critical thinking to to sort of say well this big um theory is out there uh, let, let, let me let me provide some realism i mean how much can you speak to that Absolutely. So I've done this uh, as an Intel analyst multiple times where protectors will have seen something usually on Reddit, um, but other sort of short form social media things. And they can get spun up because, again, they've seen a lot of bad stuff. And so they translate that to, to a worst case scenario rather than applying the probabilistic reasoning I'm talking about. And so I've had to do it multiple times of sort of dispelling conspiracy thought. Um, and conspiracy concepts and theories and ideas where you're right. A lot of protectors have seen the worst. They know how we'll say like elites operate um, in a specific way, but there's a very specific cognitive bias with trying to apply that to bigger issues is I've seen it multiple times where protectors will say this bad thing happened. Therefore it must've been by design because I've seen the power these people have, or I've seen this particular issue, but that's bad critical thinking because stupidity can have the same consequence as malicious intent. Um, and <laughs> people often then conflate the two is because like, no, you have all these resources, you have all this money, it must've been by design. Well, no, most people are just kind of, of ignorant of the way the world works and they don't really care about the consequences of their actions or how they go about things. A common um, comparison would be throughout a lot of, say, the Middle East. There were tons of conspiracy theories about American um, use of guided munitions. And because there was the idea that America was so technologically advanced that they couldn't possibly miss their target by accident. So if they hit uh, civilians or they miss their target and, and hit something else, it must have been by design um, because they're so technologically advanced, they're so superior, there's no way they, that they could have made this accident or, or you know, not intended to hurt these people. And so where this comes back to is, is protectors, again, they have all this experience. And so they try to translate it directly uh, into to worst case scenarios in a lot of ways. But overwhelmingly, the vast majority of the time, that's just not true. It's mostly just a confluence of bad decisions and events that have led to uh, something happening. Which which reminds me of the movie Burn After Reading, um, which which if you haven't seen it, is, is all, all sorts of weird things happen, but no one's quite sure why. <laughs> yes, no, that's a fantastic example. Especially, I love, uh, there's so many wonderful scenes in that movie. So if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. But like at the end where the the main like director character is like, did we learn anything? And they're like, no. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and then they just disperse. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tough, isn't it? But 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 that whole that whole need to find the truth according to your needs is why the private intelligence industry is is uh, you know so 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 important. Um and we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Because we've seen it in um, financial uh, risk. Uh, so, you know, an actuary is very well paid. Mm -hmm. 
do, do you think that we're going to see an increased need for like, I don't know, a corporate security actuary or scientist, but not not an actuary? But I, I, I don't know, like maybe maybe that's you maybe maybe we're gonna need to replicate you soon well so i want to issue sort of a word of caution on the quantification of analysis uh as i kind of mentioned earlier my philosophical leanings tend to go against that because humanity can't quite be quantified the way we normally want um and especially when you're trying to make risk decisions and so the way i would I would phrase this is how do you quantify a Hitler? How do you quantify a Churchill? You change those dynamics, say like in World War II, fundamental differences of, of outcome. And so when you're trying to base things on just prob uh, like data analysis, not just probabilistic analysis, because that can be very good, but when you're just trying to base everything on large pools of data, you're going to miss things as well. The, the future of this is learning to combine those quantitative analyses with the broader philosophical, historical, cultural context and being able to merge them together. And that is, is going to be the real challenge and key because people who are trained in one area are not trained in the other. And they often have a very difficult time crossing those boundaries as well. This is so a common theme of kind of what I'm talking about is a generalist approach to security. You need to be able to draw on multiple areas to prevent cognitive biases from from mitigating good analysis. And so is what you're saying of, you know, yes, we absolutely need more data. Like there's a lot of companies that have have tried to move in this direction in a variety of ways um, and it can be good if you apply it with context. And so we can talk about, say, political risk, which is is one of my areas of, of expertise. And so, okay, we're going to collect all this data on a particular political issue, um, and we think that there's so much likelihood of, of X or Y happening. All right, that's a great place to start. But then we need to apply the personalities of people involved. Um, we need to apply the culture of wherever this issue is happening so that we can give context to these issues. So one of the reasons, for example, Henry Kissinger, why was he such an effective national security advisor and secretary of state? Because he would put himself in the mindset of his adversaries. Um, he did it from a realpolitik perspective where it was, I believe that other countries, other people have interests. I need to understand their interests if I'm going to secure the interests of my country. And so this is where it takes a bit of psychology and working through the mindset. Um, in red teaming, we call it the adversarial mindset to, to take on the personality and the, the ideas of, of your opponent. And you have to be able to pull that together with the quantitative stuff and the qualitative uh, methods as well. You really need a fusion of the two if you want good analysis. So does that mean every EP team has got to have one of you on tap or fractional you or... Um, you you in a box. I don't know. Like, what, what what does that mean for the EP team? No, and this is tough. Um, it's it's difficult because there is no definitive training for, say, an analyst. Um, you can get hired coming from a multiplicity of backgrounds, and so the security profession, the corporate security profession, is relatively inchoate. It hasn't been a long, around for long enough to be truly professionalized in the Huntingtonian understanding of professionalized. And so I would very much support the idea of having someone like me on, on every EP team um, as sort of a check and, and you know helping everyone work through ideas and concepts. But if we want this at scale, a big thing we need to think through is the training and professionalization of analysts joining in the the protector space um and this is going to take a lot of work from very different parts of of the the sector but we need to work on that standardization um and so this can include some basic quantitative methods analysis bayesian statistics uh can include a bit of philosophical training historical training etc in order to create a curriculum and then a lot of training in critical thinking. And people think that you can just sort of wake up or, or participate a little bit and suddenly you're a great critical thinker. Critical thinking takes a long time to develop 
with constant practice. You have to constantly be working at it and checking your own biases. And this is why I love my job in like red teaming where we get to apply these structured analytic techniques as they're called to force critical thinking on the team and in decision-making. And so teams have to practice, analysts have to practice. But if you want an analyst like me on the team, because I have a very unique background and educational training, you have to come up with a way to standardize that to get people at the ready to, to do it. Do you think that's because maybe an analyst position, even in the cyber world, is kind of thrown out there as an entry-level position? And then you maybe get a senior analyst and you get some other, but, but it's kind of like, oh, they'll man the SOC. Okay, good. Or, oh, oh yeah, there'll be SOC one analyst, SOC two analyst. And, and that's how, that's how I got my start in the, you know, and I, obviously there are super analysts. There are people with PhDs like yourself, but I don't know. Like I, I, I get the feeling that's, that, that there might be a perception that it's an entry level role. And, and that actually what we should be doing, as you said, is creating a, a proper career path. Mm-hmm. No, so I don't necessarily have a problem with the entry level roles. If there's a, a significant onboarding process to do this, and so depending on your your corporations or principals, you know, resources to be able to do this, I would set aside the first three months just for training. Um, that you can't sort of put them into it where okay, no, we're going to collect the data and I'll translate it to a technical intel report and send along. Because that's usually where where protectors and security professionals get irritated, correctly irritated, that they're like, this isn't actionable. I can't make a decision based on what you sent me. I love your example of Egypt has pyramids. Okay, that doesn't help me (laughs) uh, move forward or or anything. And so if you want to hire an analyst with a diverse background, because this is something we're talking about in red teaming, diverse backgrounds help a lot because it brings fresh perspective. But you do need the same base level training. And so if we in the security profession could come up with like a three-month process of say, okay, you need to read this book by um, Hoffman. Um, you need to read this book by Zenko. Um, you need to you know, practice writing this kind of report and come up with a steady thing where it's, no, you have three months to learn all of this um, before you can really take on this role. I think that's most appropriate. And then as analysts move up, we have to continue. We have to be lifelong learners. Uh, this is something that's so important is Intel isn't static. Information isn't static. You have to constantly be learning new methods and tools um, in order to be moving forward. Like I, uh, a couple years ago, started studying Python, um, started uh, studying a couple languages to constantly be adding to my tool set so that as we take in new information, as we move up. And so moving from, you know, entry-level analysts to, to the next level analyst to the next level analyst, more training should be going along the way. And we need to help standardize that training so that as they're going through it, it's not just because they become a subject matter expert in a very niche thing, but that they have the requisite skills. And these are more soft skills than direct hard skills, the soft skills of good analysis. Because uh, that's where the problem is. Because you, you can even have a really amazing OSINTer. Um, but that doesn't mean they can translate their OSINT to something actionable for the protector to, to make a decision on. Yeah, because that's, that's intelligence. Intelligence has to be actionable. And information has to be just information. Um, mm-hmm. also. But it's critical thinking a bit like, I don't know what it is, but, if, but I know it when I see it. Or, you know, like, um, let, let me rephrase that. If I'm... Uh, an EP operator, and I want to see some good critical thinking that has been done for my operation. Uh, what is it going to look like? Absolutely. So when I talk about critical thinking, people can get surprised by this, but Sherlock Holmes should be your model. Sherlock Holmes is the greatest critical thinker in literature. He's actually based off of a real life doctor um, that Doyle knew who could uh, make these kind of logical leaps that, that, Holmes makes. But I highly recommend reading the original works uh, of Doyle. Um, A Study in Scarlet is the novel in particular. But Sherlock Holmes was able to take a couple pieces of information and then draw a conclusion, a probabilistic conclusion on that. And the reason it's so impressive 
is he takes multiple steps along the way. And so this is where it comes of like critical thinking training, critical thinking practice is you need to work through every single one of those steps. And a lot of analysts have trouble with this because they've worked on, on things where they have assumptions that come into it um, or security professionals with lots of training, as I mentioned before, where they can respond quickly and, and do something. But you need to be able to work through every single step of your thought process so that you can challenge bad assumptions, that you can work through the assumptions that you have, that you can make sure that you're logically moving from step to step within your, your uh, thought process. And that's the practice that you have to be able to do. And so in like the Intel space, be like, okay, uh, Russia's invading Ukraine and this is going to be a big deal. Okay, well, I think we can all work out it's going to be a big deal. <laughs> um, I don't need an Intel report to tell me that. But I need the Intel report to tell me um, what parts of the global economy do Ukraine participate in. And um, fertilizer being a big one and neon gas for lasers is another. Okay, how will those two impact my principle? Because fertilizer can impact um, food prices, not can does impact food prices. So food prices will increase. Okay, food prices increases. Where will that be happening? Um, most likely in the Middle East. All right, is there other cultural or political issues that would be exacerbated by increased food prices and harming the economy? Then would this lead to particular protests in certain regions that is more reliant on the fertilizer, therefore the increase in food prices from the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Working through every single step to come to okay, there are going to be protests in this area. My principal is traveling to this area. Uh, when protests are in this particular city, they're most likely at locations A, B, and C. Therefore, we're going to avoid those to achieve our objective. And that's how you have to draw it all the way through. I, I feel like I need to say elementary, my dear Watson, because <laughs> yes. you, you, you've extrapolated it out. And um, no, I like that because... Um, Maybe, maybe because some people may not wish to share the secret source, but some sometimes on the podcast, maybe, maybe in other areas, I do wonder if people are holding back um, in, in, in giving that extrapolation, because because sometimes they might say, well, this topic's important. I'm like, yeah, but how do we do it? And I like I like what you've done there to actually go, well, it, this country, this product, this issue, this uh, cause and and and, uh, and 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 so on. So so I think that's. That's very helpful. Um, I think I know what you might say, but what are your thoughts on some of the sparkly box solutions out there that try and affix numbers to qualitative things? Like, you know, there, there are sparkly box solutions that say um, Amsterdam is a level five green button, and that means whatever, you know? And, and, and so... It, they they hire maybe some video games uh, designers for the graphic user interface to you know to create some sort of useful dashboard. Any any use to that? Uh, so this might be a controversial statement. I don't really think so. <laughs> and it's we we being people, but also security professionals, we want to to make information as easy as possible to digest. And we like little boxes, um, we like little categories, but life doesn't really work that way. Um, life is overwhelmingly complicated. Every single issue you face is complicated. And so I just gave that example of like using Ukraine, the Ukraine war to talk about protests in the Middle East that could impact the principle. You have to do that with every single issue um, that, that comes across. You need to work through those mechanisms every single time, short and long-term um, cause and consequence and moving through it every single point. But there's also something called the expert paradox um, that I point out with, with critical thinking. Experts are really, really good at predicting normal things. As long as things are going in the way they typically do, experts are very, very good at predicting it. They are not good at predicting the abnormal when something changes or new comes up. And this is my problem with, with those kinds of solutions where it's like, oh, we're going to categorize the Netherlands as green. Therefore, you don't have to worry about anything. Okay, probabilistically, you don't. But what about the quote unquote black swans? What about the things coming out of nowhere? Have you been paying attention? So this goes back to the probabilistic reasoning I was mentioning earlier. So there is probability X. All right, but what variables 
that show the the changes up or down that could impact that to be more or less likely. And so you need to constantly be updating this. And also those broader categories, um, even though we like to put things in nice categories, tend not to give you a very good picture. And I, I think America is a wonderful example of this. Um, people will talk about, say, like median income. Um, well, that really is kind of a meaningless statement in the U.S. when you have the cost of living in San Francisco and the cost of living of Wichita, Kansas. Um, so a median income, uh, with which I think right now is like $48,000. Don't quote me on that. Um, but, uh, you know, that in San Francisco is absolute poverty. In Wichita, you're fine. Um, and so being able to, to be able to put the relevant context to, to these issues very much matters. And I'll give another example of why I don't really sort of like those categories. Um, and again, I'll use the, the U.S. because we just have such a big, diverse business set. Uh, is a weak dollar good or bad for your business? Um, good or bad for your principal? Well, that entirely depends on the kind of industry they're in. And then even within the sector industry, like what kind of imports or exports or services that they're, they're doing. And so, you know, we were talking about political risk um, and political risk analysts. They could say, okay, the dollar is going to be weak. All right. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me um, as an analyst or, or secure professional or protector until you draw the multiple things down um, to your particular industry, um, your particular client. And so we use these boxes. They may, may make us feel better um, because I can easily categorize things in my brain. The world just doesn't work that way. And as like a final point to this, Alan Greenspan wrote a wonderful book called The Map in the Territory, where he is working through the financial crisis intellectually. And a big part of it was non-quantifiable variables, where how do you quantify? So we talked about like the inability to quantify, say, people like Churchill. But how do you quantify fear? How do you quantify hope? How do you quantify these emotions and feelings um, that you can't really put into numbers? And so you're, you're trying to help like your analyst be able to forecast a particular issue or give actionability to it. You need to be able to describe these psychological forces or non-quantitative forces as well that checking things into boxes isn't going to tell you. Yeah, and so 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 maybe I guess there's there's a there's a better there's a better place for we don't know. Yes, yes, absolutely. This is something I think is so important because so many analysts try to do this thing. Um and I, I keep criticizing analysts, but but it's true. Uh where you give them a topic and they're like, Oh yeah, no problem, or here's my opinion on this, or blah, uh, etc. You should be very comfortable absolutely comfortable with saying i don't know epistemic humility that's our, our fancy term for for being willing to say i don't know epistemic humility is central to building trust um between uh analysts and protectors between people and and their clients but then also the recognition that i can't control everything in the world so i'm going to give you this analysis um i'm going to make it as actionable as possible but we can't know every single factor that's coming into this. This is where all your, your training as a protector for the last you know, 10, 20 years is so important is because here's the actionable stuff I can give you. Uh, you might have to deal with the unknown and that's why you do all that other training to be able to respond to it well. I like that, yes. But particularly these, these last few years, I feel, yeah, okay, there's a degree of, oh, we, we want to make everyone calm and and happy and do this and that but maybe there were not enough people willing to say i don't know um because because then everyone becomes an armchair uh, historian an armchair critic um there's that there's that nice uh, meme with the guy that says last week i was a this expert this week i'm a this expert um i i, I really enjoy that uh, that mm -hmm. meme uh but 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 all right. Well, let, let's let's now make it even more applicable for our protectors. Mm -hmm. They're doing protection. They have, you know, many don't have academic backgrounds, right? This might sound a little bit too difficult because 
we've already on the podcast suggested that perhaps they uh, do an introduction to coding to simply have a, a grasp of that that world. And then we've had another podcast that said, well, uh, cybersecurity has nothing to do with development and coding. So don't worry about that. Um, is this going to be uh, as much of a leap for them if, if, if they want to add uh, critical thinking to their skill set? No, um, that it, critical thinking is a very different skill um, because it is not a hard skill. And it is a quintessential skill in the sense that whether you're doing cybersecurity, whether you're doing executive protection, um, whether you're an Intel analyst, you need to be able to use critical thinking. And so I've given several examples of critical thinking within the Intel analyst sphere because that's what I, I do for a living. Um, but for for your protectors, uh, it's it's going to be a different application of their critical thinking. And so what I would say to a protector is as they're uh, training and, and going about whether it's medical emergency training um, or firearms training or evasive driving training, et cetera, they need to mentally work through all of the steps that they're doing. And I think this is where it's really important is as they're making decisions, they need to start with the question, why? And so in red teaming, we call this the five whys. It's a very easy, applicable tool to help you use critical thinking in your everyday life. And so it's you go back with five why questions. So I did action X. Why did I do action X? Well, because of Y. Why did I do Y? Um, and then you move to I, I did it because of Z. Why did I do Z? And you go back with five whys. And then you understand your decision making. And this is a really easy way to practice critical thinking because it helps you work through the mental steps to get where you're going. And this is a skill also um, that isn't tangible. Um, and so I know I use the, like hard, soft skills, but this is also one of those things that when you do it right, um, it comes through into to everything that you're you're working on. It's not one of those things that I'm just going to apply in this situation. I'm just going to apply in this situation. And related to this is there's no, there's no like course or certification you can really do in critical thinking. I can't be like, go take this LinkedIn course or go, go take this Udemy course. Like you can't do that. I can, I can send you, uh, you know, books or, or discussions on epistemology, um, phenomenology, uh, like do all like the study of it. But the, the real thing is, is you have to just do it in your everyday life. You have to just do it with your everyday decisions with your everyday work stuff um, and constantly be practicing applying it to everything. There's no, there's no certification for it. Yeah. But you know, some of those certification people will come out with the uh, pink star of critical thinking <laughs> 101. Um, but no, but, and, 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 and then, you know, that puts it a lot. I mean, we had, we had a, a thing about um, keeping fit which for mm. most protectors is absolutely not an issue, but the specific segment was keeping uh, fit and ready after 50 or after 60. Um, and and, and what, what, what was brought up there was, well, hang on, there's no certificate for the achievement of being able to press, bench press, what X, Y, and Z. It, I think this is in that same vein, something that you have to practice, something that you don't get, um, a cookie for having achieved um, and which, which, which might make it a little bit uh, challenging, but, but people don't have to spend money on this necessarily, do they? No, absolutely not. Um, this is where it's, it's a fantastic thing um, as a skill development uh, and makes you come off significantly more professional by being able to, to use critical thinking in all of your stuff, you're going to just level up in, in other people's perception of your capabilities and your other skill sets as well. And so again, for this, um, you can easily look up, say, like red teaming tools or, or structured analytic techniques online if you want to like use um, structured ways of practicing this. But as I said, it's really just everyday practice in the decisions that you make as in your personal life and in your professional life. Um, and being able to explain all of these things and putting them together. And then the next step is, of course, the probabilistic reasoning and working on saying, okay, this variable impacts this variable. Um, this is an intervening variable and working and putting those together. But it's just basic constant practice in the way you live your life and the way you do your job. 
Uh, and you can develop this in a relatively short amount of time if you're willing to just do the mental effort every time you make a decision or come to a conclusion by working on that mental stuff. And it'll start, you'll start seeing it happen regularly. If you're going to spend money on it, um, there is a, a, a book called Mastermind by Maricova, um, which is about the way Sherlock Holmes thinks. That's a book I would recommend. Um, and then this may sound weird, but I very much recommend um, security professionals and protectors reading novels every once in a while. Novels are a wonderful way to help you work through critical thinking. It's not an academic exercise. Rather, it's the understanding the way characters have a mindset and take on decisions and work through their problems. And it helps you do X, Y, Z in, in development of decision-making and coming to conclusions. Novels are actually very, very wonderful for this. And then they're in a narrative form, which makes it more entertaining than trying to work through like the formal logic of, of you know, philosophers. Well, that's, that's, that's a great suggestion. And I, I dare say, you know, the protectors are uh, often standing up in a hallway for a long period of time, probably listening to our podcast right now. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it detracts from the, the pain of, you know, standing for so long. But they might think, oh, I must listen to factual things all the time. I must always be learning. But I like that. You've given them the permission uh, almost to, to, to read a novel. Absolutely. This is... Uh, so it's not just it's not just protectors. I have become a big advocate of of novels um, and then intellectual use of of television shows for similar reasons. Um, but novels are a better way because you have to work through the entire process. It's not just handed to you like it is in TV shows. Um, and there's not like a particular type of novel that you actually need to read because it's really just about character development and decision making. Um, like I always recommend Jane Austen. She's, I think, the one of, if not the greatest novelist in history. Uh, but if you enjoy sci-fi and you want to read Gibson um, instead, or you love Lord of the Rings and you're a Tolkien fan, Doyle, as I said, is fantastic for his Holmes novels um, and um, uh, the short stories that he does. But like my favorite novel is The Confederacy of Dunces uh, by Kennedy uh, Toole. Um, that you have so many choices and different varieties because it's not actually the particular story that matters. It's it's taking on the mindset of a character. It's watching them make decisions. It's how they analyze. It's watching stories developed. And so you're seeing um, plot point A leading to plot point B. And, and how did those things come about? You're being able to put together a narrative to understand how variables are interacting with each other. Literature is a wonderful thing to do this. Fantastic. Well, I, I didn't think we'd end up there, but I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased we did. Um, it is a great suggestion. And obviously, if you are uh, standing up right now, listening to this podcast for a long time, uh, we, 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 you know, we, we, we acknowledge your, your discomfort and, uh, and, and, and adding uh, novels to your, to your portfolio will be, or audio, audio portfolio as well, will be great news. Um, Tristan, where, where, where can we find you next? Uh, what, are, what, are, what are you working on? Um, how can people get in touch? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn, um, if people are interested. Um, next stuff I'm working on is actually uh, a journal, um, creating a journal with the IPSB to help actually, as I said earlier, with the professionalization of our industry. So we're starting a journal, an academic journal, to try and, and move the industry along forward. Um, and I'll also be teaching at Georgetown in the fall. So that's kind of the stuff I'm doing now. But if people are interested in contacting me, LinkedIn is the best way. Nice. And I, I like how you casually drop that bombshell that the IPSB is uh, doing their journal. Um, I, I heard about it, but but uh, but, but I, like, I like to see the progress. So it's really good news. Um. Right. So, Tristan, thank you very much for giving us uh, a, a more tangible insight into critical thinking, making it much more accessible for our protector community. Um, very much appreciated your uh, time and contribution to the Bodyguards for Kids uh, forum that uh, raised over twenty two thousand dollars. Excellent. So 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 that is that is really good news. Um, but yes. Thank you very much. Critical thinking for the protector. This has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast.
Well, thank you very much, Tristan. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to welcoming you uh, on the 11th of May to Alexandria at our, at our next forum. But critical thinking as a topic, um, what a good you know, jumping off point for tomorrow's protector, Sean. What what did you take away from this theme? No, I, th- I think exactly what we said in the introduction before actually listening to Tristan, I think, you know, there is a world for all of us to be a little bit more of a critical thinker, you know, in, in whatever era of life you're in, you know, don't just accept what you're being told, just look, look into it a little bit deeper. And there's always, you know, a little bit more you can pull out of the situation which opens your mind, gives you a little bit more intel, um, which can either help you, help your teams, you know, build a bigger picture of what's of what's happening on the ground, and you know, in other areas of that might be affecting your principal life. Or so, yeah, I think de- definitely great podcast there from Tristan, great interview, and yeah, definitely set you up for tomorrow's event. Um, and do you think that the protectors? today are actually really well placed for this because they are a little bit skeptical yeah uh, protectors have seen all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful things and so you know if someone uh let's walks up and says yeah i'm going to marry your principal tomorrow it's like mm, yeah um ma- yeah tell me about that like just just a healthy degree of skepticism do, do you think that already exists yeah i, th- I think actually I, I think it does i think I don't know. I just I don't know if it comes with age, and you know you become a little bit wiser uh, the more you know every day you live. But I definitely think not skeptical, but yeah, definitely you find people looking a bit more, and they want to know why. You know what what's in this for me, or what's tell me a bit more about that. And I think certainly in our industry, you know, you do have to question things surrounding your principal. You know, what someone's come to the principal's house, and not why are you there? Can I help you? You know, and just being a bit curious, you know, is is good. You know, I think you can draw a lot of information, and I think yeah, you know, people in our industry may may be skeptical, but I, I think yeah, we all need a healthy degree of curiosity, which will help us in our day to day role. And um, yeah, you're 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 right, and maybe I. Uh... I, I I mislabeled it. Maybe it is curiosity and not skepticism. Maybe maybe that's the key for critical thinking. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Just by being a little bit curious, digging a little bit deeper below the surface level questions, and yeah, then you get the real answer. Mm. What you want, and 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 that's why it was so nice to have Treston on because. You know, we we do see examples of political scientists and uh, historians and uh, adjacent fields giving presentations about security. It's good. It's good stuff. But there's always the question. All right, let's apply it now. Um, You know, if I'm doing a Ph.D. on 1950s something political strife somewhere. okay. But like, how's that going to help me in the field? Why does that matter? What are the implications today? Things like that, and 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 maybe this is where we found that bridge. Um, not 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 that going to do a master's in war studies is bad. No, I know people people love doing it, uh, don't they, Sean? There's so many people that go off and do that. Yeah, I think something when you look, sometimes you know, people can write a paper on anything now, can't you? It's it's. Sometimes you write a paper when there's no need for a paper. I think <laughs> just to get your name out there sometimes. But yeah, no, I totally agree. It, yeah, it is. It is tricky. Like, why? Why is this paper in existence? Um, and what? Are you, what? What's the problem we're trying to solve? What's in it for me? I, I don't know. There's. I, I. I'm. I'm sort of paraphrasing some much more eloquent uh, questioning that Treston has presented. So sorry about that, Treston. But 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 I think that is the general flavor for today's session. Um, as as I said, coming up uh, 11th of May in Alexandria, Virginia, Treston will be joining a panel uh, and we're going to talk protective intelligence, um, which uh, which is going to be great fun. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's next in-person event. Um, uh, beyond that, we've we've had some great activity on the PBA Connect app and the NABA Protector app. Um, just just recently, people have been inquiring about a particular geography and about colleagues operating in that geography, which 
do you know what that that's that's ideal because we're connecting members we're connecting subscribers with uh, opportunities so please keep uh, keep those going and and you know whenever you see a, a request you know even if you you see it like within one minute answer within uh, a couple of days still answer still connect um because you know that that that's the beauty of the network isn't it sean i mean you you, you must get asked quite a lot uh for yeah I mean, I, no you're totally right Pilum. you know we, we've got some great tools there on, on both of these apps and you know not not everyone uses them you know if, if you are going to a different town or your principal's traveling somewhere and you, you need a local asset in a particular area please please do ask because Generally, you know, there'll be somewhere, someone on that app who can, you know, give you a little steer, you know, recommend, you know, show for companies, hotels, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, and also, it's nice to, you know, grow your network, get them in your black book, um, you know, maybe someday you can return the favour when they're coming to your neck of the woods. Perfect. And and yeah, it takes a network to defeat a network. And then, you know, this is this is it in practice. Um, we are still looking for fantastic contributions to the magazine. So please get those in uh, as soon as possible so you can make the next edition. Um, and uh, and the magazine, yeah, doing very, very well. Um, it's it's wonderful to see it develop. Always love the artwork. Uh, personally, I always love the artwork, but I know that's that's uh, because of our editor John. Yeah, shout out to John. You know, he puts a lot of effort into the magazine, uh, both creating the art, pulling the articles in, uh, you know, and and building the whole product. And um, we certainly couldn't do it without him for sure. So shout out to John for that. Absolutely, yeah, and it's it's wonderful. I know Elijah's been working on uh, a new article, a new uh, editor's letter as well. Um, it's uh, it really is a, a a great team effort, and I and I highlight that because this uh, Circuit Magazine podcast very much feeds into the magazine, or it brings the pages of the magazine to life. And <laughs> so, if you've liked uh, this particular podcast episode, obviously go to the magazine to learn more, to get more in depth. Um, and uh, and there's there's a huge quantity of back issues as well. And again, we do these things thematically, so you know you, you you will find other related articles won't you sean yeah and you, and you can use these this back issue these back issues of the circuit magazine to help you build your next white paper <laughs> there you go everyone's asking for one that's that's a brilliant brilliant uh reference tool well sean thank you for thinking critically with me and uh it's been great to uh to, to have treston on board uh obviously great that we got to know him at the bodyguards for kids initiative raised so much money but we're, we're we're looking forward to seeing him in person 11th of may and uh yeah critical thinking is absolutely for the protector so get into it make it relevant ask better questions and uh yeah from sean and myself this has been another perfect edition of the second magazine podcast You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.